This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight. Live tomorrow. Shop now at Natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. All over the U.S., lawmakers are pushing to get life back to normal. And for corporate America, normal means bustling offices and conference rooms full of people. But that future is really far away. And right now, employers are struggling to figure out how to even begin getting back there. The heads of HR and the CEOs that are looking at how to do this really don't know where to start. This is incredibly difficult for companies, and there's really no playbook here. One executive told me that more challenging than sending people home is figuring out who should come back. Our colleague Chip Cutter covers management. He says employers are walking a delicate balance between bringing people back and keeping them safe. Some companies think that to prevent the spread of coronavirus in the office, they'll have to monitor pretty much everything their workers do, not just at the office, but also in their personal lives. Today on the show, the new ways companies are thinking about tracking employees and why heightened surveillance at work could outlast the pandemic. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Friday, May 8th. A big question for corporate America is when it will be safe enough to start bringing workers back to the office. Different companies are moving at different speeds. Facebook said yesterday that employees could keep working from home for the rest of the year. But a lot of companies are hoping to get people back sooner. They want to get their fighting formation back, is how one executive put it to me. Companies still want to have kind of the elements of offices, the collaboration, the idea sharing that happens just when everybody is in the same room together. And there's this desire from companies to get folks back because some of their employees may have childcare issues, because some may be working in tiny apartments. They want to give that option. Companies aren't going to force everyone back all at once. Most likely, people will start coming back to work in phases. But even then, they'll have to make their offices look pretty different from the ones they've built over the last few years. Think about some of the most iconic offices, offices at places like Google and Facebook and some of the biggest technology companies. We just picture them and think about big, wide-open spaces. Well, CEOs are now saying that those sorts of offices, that open space between workers, now is, now is a real issue and something that needs to be addressed. Companies have created these models, almost financial models, but looking office by office, what is the maximum capacity we could have? And a lot of companies have said it's about 30% of the people might be able to return. Perhaps it's only 50%. What exactly are they going to be able to do to create space inside the office? A good example here is, is the credit card company Discover Financial. They will basically put people at every other desk, essentially put X's on the desks and chairs not to be used. Companies are deciding that only some conference rooms might be able to reopen. The CEO of Qualtrics, which is a part of SAP, the big technology company, told me that he's looking at setting up outdoor conference rooms at some of his company's offices in Utah, for example. There's been talk in the elevators of putting a square in each corner of the elevator, advising employees, 
don't board that elevator unless there's an open square. Four people in an elevator does not sound like socially distancing, no matter how large the elevator is. <laughs> well, but that is a consideration companies are thinking about. They're throwing away the condiments near the coffee bars. They're telling people the gyms and showers will be shut down until the end of the year. Just really kind of the way we work in offices is going to change in so many different ways. But executives are worried that those physical changes won't be enough, that maybe people won't follow the rules, or that even if they do, drawing up new floor plans and getting rid of coffee bars won't stop the spread. This worry has driven companies towards much more invasive measures, ones that sometimes involve digging into employees' personal lives to decide who can even come back to the office in the first place. Take Interpublic, an advertising company with 22,000 employees in the U.S., It's looking at dividing its workers into three categories based on risk. It gets really personal fast. The lowest risk would be those who tested positive for antibodies, those who presumably have already had the virus and may have some sort of immunity, even though there are big questions over the accuracy and the relevance of the antibody test. The second group would be those who are younger in age, for example, or may not have any pre-existing health conditions. And then the third group are those who either live with those who may be among kind of a vulnerable group or those who are vulnerable themselves because of existing conditions. How would Interpublic actually even get workers into these categories? I mean, I imagine that they know how old their employees are, I would suspect. But what about the other things like the antibody tests or figuring out if they have vulnerable people who live with them in their homes. Well, so this would mean potentially asking employees to reveal their own health conditions and those of their family members or roommates, those who they live with. Interpublic says that all of this is still just an idea and that it hasn't officially decided to move forward with it. But across corporate America, ideas like this are spreading, and they go beyond who can just come back to the office. For those who are invited back, their employers will be watching them closely. And it could start before they leave the house. Some companies, for example, are considering sending a questionnaire to employees every morning when they wake up, asking them, how are you feeling today? Say you answer the questions correctly. You say you're feeling okay. You then would be given a code that you could scan in the lobby that would then give you kind of access uh, to the building and to your office from there. Also, some companies are experimenting with having people take their temperatures at home with a digital fever app, logging those results, and almost getting something that's equivalent to the TSA pre-check. They're also thinking about asking workers and asking visitors to offices how you arrived that day, with a thinking being that a private car is safer than arriving via subway, for example, or public transportation. And once people arrive at their desks... Employers want to know who else they're coming into contact with by asking employees to download smartphone apps and installing sensors around the office. They're turning to surveillance, to digital monitoring tools to get a sense for how their workplace is operating and to get a sense for kind of where people are moving throughout offices. And the thinking here is that this would be a way for employees to see day by day how well they're doing and staying apart from each other. At some companies, they're even thinking, for example, of giving people scores at the end of the day, saying, how well did you socially distance? How far apart did you stay from your colleagues that day? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds really intense and invasive and kind of creepy. There is a creep factor to this. Companies haven't decided yet what will happen to people with low scores. What do you think about all this stuff? I mean, would you, is this a, is this a working condition that you think that you would accept? 
I'm not sure that I would, to be perfectly honest. It would make me feel really nervous. It would make me feel that I was kind of constantly being watched, even if I understood why employers were doing this. So I think it would change how I went about my day. I think I would be a little more careful just in terms of if I knew my employer was standing over my shoulder digitally. You know, I I do think it would change how you would kind of think about work and think about just your relationship to your company. Leaving aside a person's comfort level, it's actually not clear that it's legal for companies to collect this kind of information. And lawyers told Chip that some companies could face lawsuits. You know, existing employment laws around age discrimination, around discrimination for disabilities, they don't go away in a pandemic. But there may be ways around this. The White House has issued guidelines on this and and encouraged employers to make accommodations for those who are in kind of a vulnerable class. Balancing privacy and worker safety is just really tricky. Employers are responsible for keeping folks safe in the office, but they also, they want to know information that could help them in determining who might be safe. So it gets to be really complex. And I think that's part of the reason why all these companies are working with teams of lawyers to try to get a sense for what they can and can't do here. Did you talk to workers for the story? What did they say about this? Yeah, we have talked to workers. We've talked to folks who I think are concerned about the privacy implications here. But we've talked to a number of employees, too, who are also fearing for their jobs. This is at a time when a number of employees really want to prove how essential they are, how needed they are at companies, fearing that a layoff could be around the corner. I think some of the same inequities that existed in the workplace before this continued And we have workers of varying degrees of power, some who feel like they can say no and say that they're going to continue working from home or they perhaps aren't going to work at that company. And others who are absolutely not in a position to say that and have to go back to the work because they have no other options. Uh, I think it's just all sorts of just interesting questions that are going to emerge here. One of those questions is, what happens to those surveillance programs when the pandemic ends? That's... After the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. Welcome back. All the ideas to track workers, from temperature checks to health surveys, it would definitely expand the amount of personal data that employers are gathering. But Chip says that overall, it's really just an incremental step. Because even before the pandemic, employees were already being monitored. 
really, employees don't have a whole lot of privacy at work. We've reported a lot about the different surveillance methods that have been put in place in workplaces. Companies use tools, for example, to analyze the sentiment of the workplace to determine how happy folks might be based on, for example, Slack messages or the tone in email. The effectiveness of some of these tools can be debated, but employees don't have a ton of privacy at work. So employers are within their bounds to use these tools. And employers push those bounds all the time, especially in moments of panic and fear. Like after 9-11, Americans accepted much more security at office buildings, things like turnstiles and bag searches. And the same thing is already happening now. So I talked with a social media marketing firm based in South Florida. It's called 98 Bucks Social. This is a company that decided to install remote monitoring software, software to get a sense for how workers were spending their days. It takes screenshots of their computers every 10 minutes, and it logs which applications they're using. And then managers can then look at that to get a sense for what people were doing in a given day. The CEO told me that he never needed to use the software when people were all in the office and he could just look across the room. But when everybody went home, he needed it. And There was real pushback to this. He said that when he told people he was going to start using this tool, he said he didn't see the eye rolls, but he could feel the eye rolls, that he felt like he knew people (laughs) were upset about this. And some said that they were worried, that they felt like this was big brother in the office. But the pushback wasn't enough to get the CEO to change his plans. In fact, he told Chip that the productivity monitoring was actually so useful that he was going to keep it going, even after his workers go back to the office. Just like turnstiles and bag searches didn't go away in the years after 9-11, monitoring software might stick around too. I think we'll enter a state where, you know, almost every movement is tracked at work. So from the moment you enter the door, you are tracked, you're observed, you're surveilled. And what worries people who have studied this for a long time is that once these tools are installed, they oftentimes do not go away. Companies may use them for other purposes, for example, to determine perhaps how people are moving through offices or determine the effectiveness of and the kind of the use of their space. And so that's what some people are worried about here is that there's very little incentive to get rid of these tools once you start installing them. So it sounds like it's possible that heightened surveillance of employees could be a legacy of this pandemic. I think it absolutely may be that this technology installed now to solve this issue in the moment could be with us for a long time to come. That's all for today, Friday, May 8th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Kate Leinbaugh and me, Ryan Knudsen. The show is made by Gerard Cole, Meg Driscoll, Pia Gadkari, Annie Minoff, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our show is engineered by Griffin Tanner with help from Sam Baer. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, Billy Libby, Emma Munger, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Special thanks to Conrad Putzier and Suzanne Veronica for their reporting on this story. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.